John chapter 12 is where we're going to start. Um, I really just want to make a couple points from this text. One main point that really this whole lesson is going to hinge on. Um, but before I dive into that specifically, I want to talk a little bit about our theme. Um, this year we've been talking about uh, discipleship, and I know that's, that's kind of a broad sense, a broad concept to talk about, and it's given us a lot of material for a year. Um, our Bible class centers on this idea. Every book that we've been studying through, primarily Matthew, for the last couple months, we've been focusing on themes of discipleship from that book. And as we continue to go through our Bible study, and we're going to get out of Matthew, and we're going to go to other books, and we're going to still focus on that theme. And with that said, once a month, we also have a lesson that we try to present. One of the guys here is going to present based on that theme, and today is that day. And so for those of you who may be visiting with us, just know that's where we're, where we're coming from with this. For those of you who are normally here that are a part of this group, we know that our learning goal and our living goal, it's kind of twofold, right? Learning goal is just simply understanding what it means to be a disciple, the intellectual side of that. And then the living goal is like how to put that into practice. What does this mean for my life and how do I share that with other people, right? And so this lesson this morning, I've entitled, uh, I'm going to erase some things up here, uh, Embracing the Words of Jesus. And there's a few reasons I think that this is important in discipleship that we'll talk about as we go through this lesson. And I think probably for most of us um, that are... Christians that may be here this morning and familiar with the teachings of Jesus, it seems like a concept that right up front would be important to being a disciple, probably. Um, but I'm going to just write the title here so we can keep coming back to this. Um, and I'm going to do it this way. Because we're going to talk about primarily Jesus, and we're going to talk about some other things here in a moment. So embracing the words of Jesus. As a disciple, it's really important. When you look at John chapter 12, the, the verses that we focused on in the reading, picking up in verse 47, this is what Jesus says again. I'm going to read it again for emphasis. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. And what I say, therefore, I say as the Father's told me. We learn a lot of really important things about Jesus, his mission, his words, where they're coming from, things like that in this text. A couple of parts that I want to highlight Jesus alludes to his time on earth has a very specific task, right? He's come to the earth specifically for the role that he plays in salvation, right? Now, it doesn't mean that where we leave off with this, I do not judge him, doesn't mean that there isn't a judgment. In fact, Jesus continues in that vein. He says, my words will judge, right? And those who receive or don't receive will be judged by what they've received, and in this text, the negative sense, what they have not received, right? There is a judgment to be had, but the point of Jesus' work as a person was not that necessarily. It was to be the offering, to be that sacrifice that we've been thinking about this morning, right? But if we're going to be a follower, a learner of Jesus, a disciple, that's what that means, right? What Jesus is saying to us is there's, there are his words, his teachings that we need to pay attention to. 
And what he's saying in this is in fact a couple of things. Look in verse 48. I think this is really interesting. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. And you know what the judge for that person is? It's kind of a weird thing. In verse 48, it says that the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. The teachings of Jesus are going to be kind of the standard or the, the thing that we're held up against, right? There's a lot to say about that idea, but if Jesus says one thing and I reject that thing, that's going to be the thing that stands up as my judge on the last day. I think that's an interesting way to spin this because it's not all the things I may have listened to necessarily. It's the things that I didn't. It's the things that Jesus plainly spoke that are going to stand up and cast a judgment on me for having disregarded them. Um, And we're going to talk more about that idea, but I think that's important from this text that Jesus highlights the things that I may reject as being the things that are going to judge me. There's a lot of stuff about Jesus that on a personal level, like if you're asking me as, as Josh, that I embrace because I like it just as a personality thing. You know, like I like this aspect of Jesus because it jives with kind of who I am, right? Like he's really patient and I, I appreciate that about him, right? Jesus seems to be a really patient person or he's caring or loving. Those are things that Josh likes about Jesus. But then there's some stuff that Jesus is really abrasive to me in, right? And I'm not... I'm going to be careful to say that I'm not taking away from Jesus. I understand that he's perfect, but as a person, as a flawed person, there's some things about Jesus that I don't like as much, right? I don't like him talking about certain topics, and I'm less eager in my personality, in my experience, to embrace some of that stuff. But according to Jesus, if I reject the things that he says, those are the things that are going to judge me, right? And so I have to learn as a disciple that I, as a disciple, embrace all of the teachings of the master. Whether I understand them all the time or not, whether I like them all the time or not, to be a disciple is to understand that the words of the master are your life in a very literal and figurative sense. If you're a disciple, you are living the life the master has given you, and by your words you succeed, and by his words you fail. Right, And that's what it is to be a disciple, even for Jesus, and that's what it is, I think, to embrace. In fact, in this text, the word um, that's used is receive, not embrace. Um, it means like to take, to take with you, kind of that idea. It's like to receive is to take and to carry, right? So there's one sense in which I can receive, and that I just like hear them. But almost this idea of receive is kind of what we hear Jesus say by let him who has ears let him hear. Right? It's this idea that it doesn't just come in, like it goes with you. Like once you've taken it, you're taking it with you in your life, right? And I think in English, I think part of this idea is this word embrace, right? Like I've welcomed it and I'm going to take it with me, right? And so that's why I use that phrasing. So another text is just like a, probably a page or two over, John chapter 10. I think so one important principle, right? The teachings that we reject of Jesus will judge us. Another important principle is presented in John chapter 10. Let's look at this. Verse uh, 24 is where I'm going to start. So Jews gathered around him, Jesus, and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you and you don't believe. 
The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe because you're not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This was alluded to in John 12, and it's alluded to here. Did you notice that like everything Jesus says, John 12, everything Jesus does, John 10, is from the Father and has been given him by God? That's another important principle that I think when we're thinking about, do I really embrace the words of Jesus? One, I need to realize that everything I reject of Jesus is going to be my judge. And two, everything Jesus is saying is not of his own accord per se. It's things that God has given him to do or to say. Right? And that adds another layer of meaning or weight to what I'm hearing when Jesus speaks. Right? Another principle, the third principle that I'm seeing in this text specifically, is that Depending on your reaction to the voice or the teaching of Jesus, you're proving whether or not you're part of his flock. Right? In this text, he says, in a, really as kind of a condemnation of those who are asking for him to prove that he's the Christ, which he's done over and over again. Right? He's saying, look, if you were of my flock, you would hear my voice. Right? You've heard my voice. You are not of my flock. Right? There's this sense in which the way I respond by res- accepting embracing or rejecting Jesus is proving to God, myself, and other people whose flock I'm really a part of. Right? Perhaps it's never, it's, it's never more evident than whether or not I'm willing to accept something of Jesus when it's actually challenging to me. Everybody accepts the teachings of a teacher that they already like anyway. Right? If I am already kin or favorable to that position or that idea, then it's not a challenge for me to accept it, no matter who it's coming from. But the moment that I accept something based on someone's credentials and not based on how much I like their teaching, then you begin to see something. Right? You begin to see whether I'm reasonable or whether I'm open or whether I'm willing to disciple myself to whoever that may be. Right? And that's what Jesus is demanding of those who are of his flock, hear his voice, no matter if we like it or not. Right? And so those are kind of just three basic principles. Um, one, whatever we reject judges us. That's kind of a negative motivation for us. But then two, whatever Jesus says is from God and of God. And three, we, we prove to ourselves and others and God by uh, whose flock we're in by whether or not we listen to Jesus. Those are three kind of principles that we need to consider when we think about embracing the words of Jesus. Do I really take those on? Do I carry them with me? So, but it's not just Jesus. Um, If you're at all familiar with the Bible, you know that Jesus gives authority to other people to teach as well. And so it's, I think, absolutely fundamental for us to embrace the words of Jesus, but I don't think what Scripture teaches us is we necessarily just stop here. I mean, we would discount and discredit all of the Old Testament if this is all we did, unless Jesus quoted it, right? Or we would discredit people like Paul or Timothy or Peter or anyone else, James, that comes after Jesus. And certainly to understand 
the story of the Bible, to understand God's narrative of how he redeems us, necessitates that we understand this principle that God has given ultimate authority to Jesus. This is everything is funneled through Jesus, right? But then Jesus and God grant authority to some other people, right? But unlike Jesus, they're not infallible. They can make mistakes. And so what I want us to also think on, I'm just going to use Paul as an example, is that we also probably uh, should be embracing the teachings of people like Paul, who clearly were given authority by Jesus and were given um, prompts by God one way or another in teaching and edifying and encouraging and all of those things. Um, But before we get into that, I want to ask you a couple of questions that are about Jesus. I think uh, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer here this morning, and you, you should be a disciple then, right? You should be a learner of Jesus and willing to embrace, embrace all that he teaches. So here's a couple of, uh, of questions we might consider to help us determine whether or not we're really embracing the teachings of Jesus. How do you feel about Jesus's, we might say, more unpopular teachings? Have you really embraced Jesus' teachings? And maybe you can test yourself with some of the more unpopular ones, right? Like, for instance, do you embrace Jesus' teaching about the existence and nature of hell? Uh, Matthew chapter 13 is a text that we could turn to to just see a little bit of that teaching. Um, Kind of a side point of this lesson is uh, uh, maybe if you didn't know some of these teachings, you'll hear them and be a little more familiar that Jesus actually said some of this stuff. But in Matthew chapter 13, look at verse 41. Matthew 13, verse 41, Jesus says this, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears... Let him hear. And if you skip down, because that's in the explanation of a parable here. If you skip down to uh, verse 49, you see this as well. The end of the, uh, the dragnet or the net, however yours phrases this parable here. Verse 49. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. No one in the Bible spoke more clearly and more plainly about hell than Jesus. It's not a super popular teaching, and if I'm being honest about it, my personality kind of recoils at this teaching. But if I'm really going to be a disciple, I have to hear what Jesus is saying is from God. I have to know the stakes are, if I reject this, I'll be judged by it. And I have to understand that I'm going to prove myself as one of Jesus' flock or not by whether I accept teachings like this one. Um, Not a popular teaching. It's not a, 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 an exciting teaching to share with some people, you know, but it is the teaching of Jesus. And do I embrace that for what it is? Or because it doesn't line up with who I want to be or who I like, do I reject it? Another unpopular teaching of Jesus is uh, about um, divorce here in Matthew chapter 19. Um, certainly not an exciting topic to broach in general, personally, I feel, um, but a necessary one because Jesus talks about it. Right? 
In Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 4, Jesus uh, is presented a question, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? In verse 4, this is his answer. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So they say to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now certainly there's a lot to be said about this teaching and how to sort through this, but on a basic line for what we're saying today is like, do you embrace the teaching of Jesus about something so seemingly personal and emotional. You know, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances that probably many of us have encountered in our immediate families and maybe even your own family that seems to put you at odds with teaching like this from Jesus. And you're thinking, man, could Jesus have really meant what he seemed to have said? And my question for you is, are you at least willing to embrace the idea that Jesus did? Are you willing to embrace that Jesus knew what he was talking about and that it was from God when he talked about stuff like this. Now we can sit here and we can toil through this text and try to get as much as we can out of it and try to understand what Jesus is teaching. But are, are we at least willing to say on some level that if I see what Jesus is teaching for my life, I'm willing to embrace it? Because Jesus talked about divorce. Here's one place that he did that. If you're not willing to embrace even these unpopular or difficult teachings, you're probably not really a disciple. Um, let's uh, look at one more example here. Uh, Math, or Mark chapter 7. This is a little more uh, probably broad sweeping of a teaching here. Mark chapter 7, and if you want to look at verse 20 through 23, that's where I'm going to be reading from. Beginning of verse 20, uh, and he said, this is Jesus, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. This is an unpopular teaching, I think, because I, at least me, I'm just going to speak for myself here, meet a lot of people that have a disassociation of who they are and what they do. What I do is not who I am, right? I'm a good person, but yeah, sometimes I lie, but that's not really like who I am. I'm okay. Or, you know, there's a lot of listed things here. I'll just pick one out, right? Like, I'm, I'm a pr proud person. I'm very like haughty and prideful, but like I'm still a good like person. I don't that's not an issue, that's just kind of a thing that happens sometimes, right? There's kind of this separation between the fruit of my life and who I am as a person, right? Well, what Jesus is saying is a very unpopular concept or can be a at least a, minimally a very challenging concept to connect the dots between what he's saying and what it means for me. Wait, you're saying that because I lie sometimes, I actually have a heart problem? Or you're telling me because I'm a proud person that I have a lot of arrogance that this is actually like something that I have to deal with and it's not just an outworking of a situation? And that's what Jesus is saying. 
that's a really difficult and unpopular thing when you get down to kind of the nitty-gritty of it. Um, if you're a disciple, if you're a believer and follower of Jesus, you embrace this despite what it may mean for your life. Because you're a learner and you're a follower. Right? But I'm going to use Paul as an example here. So, so for uh, Jesus here, a couple of indications is how you think about hell right? Divorce. Uh, and I'm just going to say like the heart, right? So that's a couple of things like embracing the words of Jesus. Do you do it when he talks about really difficult stuff, right? I'm going to also use Paul as an example here of just kind of anybody in the New Testament who's been given authority by God to speak on his behalf. But I'm going to use him as an example because he has the most content. So it's just the easiest. So, uh, for Paul, let's think about this a little bit. I want to throw a couple of things out here that are important to remember. I'm going to uh, use Paul as an example because, I mean, he even claimed in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, that we could imitate him as he imitated Jesus. And another th thing about Paul is that the times that he wasn't imitating a very clear and direct command from God, he would say so. He would say, this is of my opinion or my judgment. Think that happened a few times, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6, verse 25, verse 40. It happens a few times in that verse or that chapter. Um, 2 Corinthians 8, chapter 10, he does something very similar. And so I feel very confident that Paul delineated his opinion from what was commanded of the Lord. And I know that he allowed himself to be imitated as he imitated Jesus. And so I feel confident that 2 Timothy 3.16 is true, right? Like all of Scripture is breathed out by God. And is profitable. And you have a list there for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. I believe that applies to Paul. Right? I believe that that's true. And so let's look at some of the things that Paul said. Am I really going to embrace the teaching of God through Paul? Um, one uh, challenging thing that I feel like can be unpopular is uh, what God teaches us through Paul about sexual immorality. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to look at uh, verse 5 here, just a quick one verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, and it says this, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, I certainly don't want to diminish the other things in this quick little list here, but specifically I think an unpopular teaching is this bit about sexual impurity or immorality. Um, and the way that God defines that, of course, is any sexual activity that happens outside of sanctioned marriage, right? That could take a lot of forms. It could take pornography, it could take masturbation, it could take sleeping around. I mean, it takes a lot of forms, right? But any of that is going to exclude someone from the kingdom of God. Not a popular teaching. Um, not an exciting teaching to like have to share with a bunch of people, right? But if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I'm a follower of God, I embrace it because it's taught. I don't embrace it because of how I feel about it, right? I embrace it because it's the words of God. I mean, there's many more passages that highlight this idea. One more. I'm not going to turn to it and read it, but if you want to write it down or save it for later, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 is a similar uh, teaching about this thing. 
Um, the next thing here, so I'm going to write sexual morality. Um, the next in this list of kind of litmus test, if you're really a disciple, is do you embrace the teach, teaching on authority and submission? There's a couple couple of different ways that this plays out in the Bible. One text in Ephesians 5, if you're still here, is in verse 21, um, when it begins talking about husbands and wives trying to make a point about our submission to Jesus, right? But in that text, it says this, um, verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, Right? And if you skip down to verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's this kind of symbiotic relationship that God's designed of submission and authority, but both are honoring the other. Not a popular teaching. Um, not one that excites a lot of people. And so it's one that's often disregarded. Right? That God would have an order that is different for one person or another, depending on things that they couldn't control. How unfair is that, right? Well, God speaks on this, and he teaches on this, and as a disciple, will I embrace it because it's God, or will I disregard it because of how I feel or the pressures that other people might put on me? Right? Another flavor that this authority and submission might take is in Romans 13, when uh, verse 1, when Paul is talking about how to regard kind of or think about or deal with government. Um, and verse 1, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Not a popular concept, right? In fact, as Americans, we're kind of founded on the idea that this is not totally true, right? Like we can rebel sometimes, and it is for the greater good, and all governments are not from God, right? Kind of our underlying concepts, right? Well, if I'm a disciple, do I embrace this teaching and whatever it may mean for me as a political activist or as a, a citizen in a kingdom, or do I disregard it for those reasons? I embrace it if I'm a disciple because God talked about it, and that's what he said. Right? So, uh, authority and submission. The next one... That is another litmus test of my discipleship. Uh, and it can be a very emotional and difficult uh, challenge for us is uh, when God teaches us what it, the parameters for fellowship and when those might begin and end. Uh, as a Christian, as a believer in God, I believe that God is love and he loves all, right? He sent Jesus to die for everyone who needed it. But at the same time, there's an expectation that's described in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, if you want to turn there with me. An expectation for those of us who are disciples to live a certain way. And the moment that we become hypocritical in our life and are unwilling to face that fact, God begins to teach us something. Right? If someone is a, as a disciple, and they're, but they're living hypocritically and unwilling to deal with that and to straighten that out in their life, this is what God says, 1 Corinthians 5.11. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality, greed, is an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. right? And if you turn to 2 Thessalonians, we talked about this the other night in our Bible class. Chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians 3, and I'll read verse 14 and 15. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter... 
take note of that person and have nothing to do with them that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother, right? Now, the last part of that, Josh, me, I really like. Oh, yeah, don't regard him as an enemy. That's more my personality. Don't regard someone as an enemy. Warn him as a brother. I can get on board with that. Verse 14 is the challenge to me personally. Wait a minute. Okay, I want to regard him as a brother, but you're telling me not to spend any time with this person as a brother. You're telling me not to eat, 1 Corinthians 5, with someone who has the name of a brother. That's difficult. That's a very challenging and very unpopular position to hold. But isn't that what God's saying? That there are parameters where that can happen? That that is what's needed? If I'm a disciple, I don't reject it because of how it makes me feel. I don't throw it all out because of how it feels or what other people may think about it. If I'm a disciple, I listen to what God has to say and I embrace whatever that may mean for my life or for others around me because I'm a learner, because I'm a follower of Jesus and a follower of God. So those are kind of uh, a few litmus tests that I thought of. There are many, many more that God challenges us in. But if I'm a disciple, a few ways that I can begin to challenge myself and to say, am I really embracing the teaching of Jesus is go to some of the harder stuff. Do I embrace this? Do I embrace that Jesus has talk, talks about hell and that it's a reality? Do I embrace that he has a standard for marriage and divorce and the parameters that are carried there? Do I embrace that Jesus says, you know what, I may have a heart problem? Do I embrace that Paul has been told by God that sexual immorality is something that will keep us out of the kingdom? Do I embrace that there is a, uh, an order to authority and submission, not only in my relationships with my husband or wife, but also with my relationship with the government and other things, with Christ himself? Do I embrace that God defines what fellowship is and is allowed to tell me when and when not to have that? Do I embrace all those things? If I'm a disciple, I should be able to say absolutely yes to all of this. I embrace that. And I love that God has taught me something about that. So as we wrap up here, I'm going to throw a few more questions out to kind of help us think about this, more litmus tests, so to speak, on whether we're disciples. I'm going to build from very basic to a little more uh, challenging or specific. So here are a few indicators on whether you embrace Jesus' teaching or not. Do you confess that Jesus is the Lord? And I mean that in both a private and public sense. And I mean that in both a one-time event, kind of that first time you may do that, but I also mean that in an ongoing event. Do you, have you confessed and do you continue to confess? Right? Both publicly and privately. Uh, Romans 10, 9 talks about this. Matthew 10, 32 talks about this. Are you forgiven of your sins? You know, God talks a lot about what that is and how that's accomplished. Uh, that's not up for you to decide how that happens. And so if you're a disciple, you need to embrace God's teaching on that. Um, if you're a disciple, it requires a forgiveness for your past allegiance or discipling to Satan. And Acts 2, 38 talks about that. Romans 6 talks about that. Are you a new creation? Have you embraced God's teaching and what that is? Um, a lot of texts, Colossians 3 talks about that. Ephesians 4 and 5 talk about that, what that means for you. Because God... You know, discipleship is really living a life uh, that God has created and designed for you. That's what discipleship allows you to do. 
And those texts talk about that. Are you comfortable with your relationship with God? And what I mean by that is, have you reached a place to where you don't feel that you need to progress anymore? Or you're a place that you can kind of stagnate and just kind of camp out in? Because, you know, God's teaching that you should be willing to embrace on that is in Hebrews 5 is just one text. That there's a required growth, maturity that's always being pursued. Difficult teaching, but we need to embrace that from God. And finally, one more question you can ask yourself is, do you teach others about Jesus and his teaching? That may be, for most of us, the most obvious and ultimate way that we can kind of prove to God, prove to ourselves, prove to our brothers and sisters that you really have embraced the teaching of Jesus when you're willing to share it. I don't know of a way that is more evident in my own life whether I really believe something and love God's teaching than when I'm sitting across the room from someone who needs something very difficult and I'm willing to share it with them. Are you willing to share the teachings of Jesus even when you're sitting across from someone who's been divorced, not scripturally, or someone who's a liar, or from someone who's homosexual, or from someone who is a thief and tell them what they need to hear, then maybe you've embraced the teaching of Jesus. And so I hope this lesson's been helpful for you to maybe think about your life, think about your heart. Um, God knows who's his. He knows who are part of his flock. And in John chapter 10, it's those who hear the voice of Jesus, who hear his teaching. I don't want to be judged on that day by the things I've rejected. And I don't want that for you either. So I would hope that you'd, you'd heed the words of Jesus and that this lesson's kind of pricked you in a way that maybe you'd reevaluate if you are a Christian, keep pushing, keep evaluating. Am I continuing to embrace the teachings? If you're not a Christian, if you haven't confessed, if you haven't been forgiven, if you're not a new creation, all those things, then you will be judged for the things of Jesus that you have not embraced in your life. But that doesn't have to be the case. And so if you find yourself in that camp, reach out to somebody around you, me, whatever you need to do to start that journey towards being a disciple. Thank you guys for listening. We're going to be led in a song now. If anyone has anything that they need, this song's a great time to let someone know.